Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Malahath, Lethon, Maskil of Haman of uh, Ezraite. O Lord God of my, of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to shale. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavily upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave and your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Amen. May God bless that reading of His Word to our hearts and to our lives. Here we face what is perhaps one of the most difficult and certainly the darkest of all of the Psalms in the Old Testament. It comes through the sons of Korah. We've we've heard them play before. We've, We've seen their Psalms and their handiwork. And they can write beautiful and joyous pieces. But this one, Psalm 88, it's very difficult. The only historical clue we have beyond their name in the the little title section is that Haman the Ezraite is mentioned, but he's so ambiguous as to be long forgotten. We know nothing of him. But you know, that's no accident. We do well to take two steps back and pinch ourselves and, and recognize that God the Holy Spirit inspired this psalm, even though it's heavy, even though it mentions someone we don't even know, God the Holy Spirit intended this all along for the writers and for the one who is mentioned to slip into obscurity. And that person is not, frankly, important. 
Because what is most important about this psalm in the unfolding redemptive history that has flown down through the ages is the singer of Psalm 88. Jesus is the singer. We are gathered here in His house to remember His death and His resurrection and to celebrate the blessings that He gives us from heaven itself. And so we must listen, yes, to the words that He inspired by pouring out His Holy Spirit on the writer of old, but also we must listen to His voice as He sings this psalm and take it to heart in our own Christian life and experience because we're united to Him. The psalm is not a happy tune. It's a dirge. It's dark. It's foreboding. It's very heavy. You know, sometimes we like to think of Jesus as smiling and laughing. But where do you ever see that in the Gospels? Name me one place where Jesus smiles and laughs. One place. It's an interesting feature of special revelation that never once in any of the four Gospels is Jesus said to laugh. It's a sin to be happy all the time. There are times in which we are to grieve. There are times in which we are to weep. There are times in which we are to be cut to the quick, particularly in a fallen world. Jesus wasn't always happy. He sang this psalm. He weeped at Lazarus' tomb. He he felt the shadow of the cross fall upon his face. We should not seek to be Stoics and deny these real aspects of human living. If you want to make any sense of your own Christian life that you might walk more faithfully to the Lord, you need to understand what it is like to walk in the noonday sun's blaze and warmth and also in the shadow as it falls across your face. Psalm 88 reflects the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, struggling in prayer with God. It informs believers how to cope with and how to face the last enemy, death. Jesus lived through the valley of the shadow so that we might live through the valley of the shadow as well. We don't go as the first, we don't go alone. Rather, we have one who is with us all the way, who is faithful and true and sure. The Holy Spirit has put these words here and given us a tune to help us understand something of this aspect of Christian experience that our hearts might be strengthened, that we might be prepared to pass through the veil, to cross over the river, to sit under the shade of the trees as it has been said. So let us hear this evening what the Spirit of Christ is saying to His church. The opening strain can be summarized this way. Help me, Lord! Help me! Verses 1 and 2 tell us, I have cried to you, O Lord. 
And so we hear the voice of Jesus as he sings those words. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. Day and night, our Lord poured out prayers to his heavenly Father. We see Him doing that in the presence of His disciples, in corporate public worship, but also in times of private withdrawal where He went and and sat quietly before His heavenly Father and ours. Especially in times of pressure and need. Particularly on the night in Gethsemane where He he asked His disciples to, to pray, to pray for Him, to pray with Him. And then He withdrew some steps away from them. But they could not. They fell asleep. They couldn't even stay awake in prayer with God and with the Son of God who needed their human encouragement and touch and friendship. But the song gets deeper and darker as we move to verses 3 and 5, and we hear the Lord crying out to His heavenly Father, I'm dying, Lord, I'm dying. Verse 3 says, For my soul is full of troubles, my life draws near to Sheol, I'm counted among those who go down to the pit, I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those you remember no more, for they're cut off from your hand. Here the the strain of prayer is pressing. It's more pointed. The, The fear behind the prayer breaks into the open here in this second set of verses. Now, brothers and sisters, we we must be honest with each other and with ourselves. This is no easy subject. It's a subject that our flesh recoils from and that our entire culture has become very sophisticated and and adept at avoiding open discussion of. Am I not correct? Death used to happen in the home with family surrounding. And now we medicated and we sedated and we, we, we isolated and And we fear for the children to know. And and we seek to to blot it out of our minds. And all of these approaches fall short. If we don't keep our eyes on what is beyond death. And the glorious triumph that comes because of Jesus passing through the grave for us. And opening the way to heaven. Then our hearts fail us for lack of strength on this deep and sensitive subject. But the Lord cries out more to His heavenly Father. As as He's taking final breaths, He's also crying out to God, crying out to Him, I am sinking, Lord, under Your heavy hand. And we hear the strange words of Jesus as He's singing, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions of the dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavily upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. It 
seems strange that the Son of God, the spotless Lamb of Calvary, would be mentioning the, the wrath of God, the hand of God laying heavily upon Him. How and where can this be except as the pressure of the cross falls across His face? He continues, You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. And so we know something of his own experience of abandonment in his last hours, even by his circle of disciples in denial by one of his finest disciples, Peter. Oh, here the psalmist is crying out to God, asserting his sovereignty, his power, his might, his providence. But as the waves of terror crash in upon him and roll over his head, those theological facts, those biblical truths, provide him in this psalm with little comfort. It's as if he's struggling with them. He catalogs his troubles and his tears. As shadow, as the shadow of death falls across his face, it's as if the tears fall and hit the ground one after another as he recalls crying out every day to the Lord, looking to Him, wondering what He will do, feeling the force of being shut in so that He cannot escape. But He lifts His voice again at the end of verse 9 and He asserts in broad truth, listen Lord, listen to my plea. And so we have another major cry to His heavenly Father again. And that one major plea is followed by at least six other questions. Questions that He's he's firing like arrows towards heaven, hoping and waiting for a response. And there's deep theology here. There's, There's really more than we can discuss tonight. One after another, beginning in verse 10, He says... Will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise up and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Will your faithfulness be declared in abandon, which means destruction? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness? Will your righteousness be made known to the land of, in the land of forgetfulness? Each of these questions is less a question than it is an argument. Each of these arguments provides a really good reason why his life should be spared and his prayer answered, yea and amen, because of this situation. But we should not get caught up in the theologizing here. That that is not the point. This is theology under pressure. Sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we come, I think, through them to see the one core reason. The psalmist puts the words in our mouth, as it were, that we are scared to death. We do well to plumb these dark depths. It's it's hard to see. It's hard to speak and feel them, much less to hear. 
But this is part of the range of the emotional life of our Lord. It's to our own hurt that we forget about His real humanity and that the fears and the sorrows and the pain and suffering that you feel in ordinary daily life, He to Himself took upon His own existence. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He has known the pain and the suffering and the recoil of even fear from death. And in the garden, He faced enormous pressure. Unimaginable pressure for sinners like us. Because He was pure and good and spotless. And yet because He identified with us, and substituted for us, and was giving His life as a sacrifice for us, He felt our fear and our guilt and our shame. By the time we get to verse 13, the the cry grows most desperate. He cries out to His heavenly Father, Lord, are you listening? I call and you hide. Verse 13 says, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? It's a strange scene. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, the roles are reversed from what they were in the Garden of Eden after the fall. Do you remember God in the Garden crying out, Adam, Adam, where are you? God knowing all the time. He knows all things. He said those words that our first father and our first mother and that we ourselves might know that God is the God of grace and mercy and redemption and salvation. It's a glorious thing for God to be seeking our first father in his lostness as he hides in the bushes because of sin. But now the role is reversed. And it's the psalmist, and it's even God in the flesh, crying out to His heavenly Father, why are you not answering? Why am I being left in this situation? The psalmist tells us that life is hard, somehow. And that life is cold, somehow, in a fallen world. Verse 15 says, Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. This side of the fall, it's always been that way. But it was especially so for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He was a stranger and an alien in this world, was He not? He was the Son of God, eternal who became incarnate by taking on flesh and dwelling among us. And He lived among sinful and fallen men and women and boys and girls like you and me. It's not too much to say that for Him every day was a little dying for His soul. The great reformer John Calvin notes in his Institutes that from the moment of His conception, our Lord began paying the price of our salvation. 
And from the vantage point of Psalm 88, as we hear him take these words on his lips, which he sang as a child, which is he sang and learned the meaning of the words and their relevance to himself so that he went to Gethsemane feeling and knowing his duty and calling from God. It was clear. It was clear what his calling was in the garden to plumb the depths of our brokenheartedness, to plumb the depths of our sin and misery in their emotional dimension. And so he ends his psalm in the most difficult, in the most hard way possible. Your wrath has swept over me, verse 16. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And that's the last word. As you're reading the Hebrew text, the last word in this psalm, the last word left ringing in our ears is darkness. Boy, that's a, that's a tough psalm. But we can't dismiss it and tear it out and throw it away. It's been given by God to us for some reason. This text comes from the Holy Spirit. He must want us to, to think and even sing of these dark thoughts with Him from time to time. Every psalm is not this way. Every moment of our lives should not be obsessed with this category or these concerns. But it is true that periodically, like a light shining, breaking forth from the clouds and hitting on our face, so too we must face the reality of the dark side of life. At the very least, we should acknowledge that these words verbalize for us the deepest fears of our soul. But we must also not forget that Jesus sang them. That He sang these words. That He felt the power here described in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so here we hear the human heart and mind of the perfect One, of the Holy and Righteous One, arguing with God as He naturally recoils from suffering and death. Darkness is the last word as he lay in the grave for three days. This psalm does not carry us over to resurrection light, but we do have in the psalm clear and unshakable testimony as to its importance in our salvation. It was right in the very beginning. Did you hear Did you hear the first verse? Oh Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to hear my cry. Oh God of my salvation, we join with Jesus to sing. As He marches to the cross, as He dies on the cross, as He lays in the grave for us, we do not forget 
that He prayed and leads us to pray to His heavenly Father who is the God of our salvation. There is hope, you see. The last word is not darkness. Uh, That is but the prelude to the glorious light that shines on resurrection morning. And all of our Christian life is led, yes, in the shadow of the cross, but also in the joyous light of the resurrection. As we look and long for His return, as we look and long for face-to-face fellowship with Him in the new heavens and new earth forevermore. We need this psalm as the dark background in contrast with the joyous light and life that we will enjoy in Him and with Him forevermore. And so, my friend, you have no need to fear. You have no need to fear this evening if you trust in the One who sang these words. If you trust in the One whom they were written about and for, to encourage Him, to strengthen Him as He marched to the cross and died for our sins. You have no need to argue. You have no need to tremble at such a depth because He has done it as you're in your stead. He is the one who has faced death and He has defeated that final enemy. He, he walked the valley of the shadow that you might know the blazing light of glorious, grace-filled noonday sun. Trust in Him. Trust in Him with your whole heart. And your night and your darkness will be turned into His day. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we thank You not just for happy tunes and songs, but also those in minor keys. We thank You that You teach us of the value of Christ's humanity and the value of His suffering and the reality of salvation that He brings that we do not need to suffer thoughtlessly or hopelessly, but rather You are the God of our salvation and we can find our hope in You. Help us to trust in Christ Help us to live and walk in fellowship with Him by Your grace. And we will give You all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.